Epsilon Theory podcast. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, share, and subscribe to us on the service you use to listen to podcasts. And give us a rating. It really helps. Then, come to the forums at EpsilonTheory.com to join the conversation with thousands of other members of the Epsilon Theory pack. I'm your host, Rusty Gwynn, and today will be another crossover episode between Epsilon Theory Podcast and Epsilon Theory Books on Tape. Ben will be reading his note, Proof of Plant, and I will be butting in occasionally with questions and comments. It's an experimental format, but people seem to enjoy it last time we did it. So, without further ado, here's Ben reading his essay, Proof of Plant. Mining is a bad word. I've spent a professional career looking at the ways we humans are hardwired and socially trained to respond to words and patterns of words, and mining is a particularly evocative word, a word that contains a story arc in and of itself. It's a negative story. Mining tells a story of extraction and destruction. Mining tells a story of aggression against nature, a defilement of nature. What's the first image that pops into your head when you hear the word? I bet it's either giant machines digging a gaping barren hole in the ground or grimy men, and only men, mining is the most male of words, entering a dark cavern of hard labor. It's always been this way. Some of our oldest human stories are the myths of descent, as miners have done for millennia, and it's always a journey into the sunless, lifeless realm of the dead. There's wealth and knowledge to be mined from the underworld, sure. The gods of the underworld are also the gods of wealth in most mythologies, and there are no secrets among the dead. Okay, I think I'm (laughs) going to have to butt in here just a little bit. Fair enough. Fair enough. (laughs) So it's interesting that you've pointed this out, and I think there has been a bit of a divided response among our our viewership and our our listeners and and our readers as to whether or not mining really does have this negative connotation. And I agree that it's a mimetically loaded term, But for me, I'll confess, it's a little bit more positive than negative. It's not that I don't see the environmental parts, but to me, the the meme that gets conjured up is this idea of, you know, American flag waving in the background, Chevrolet pickup truck in the foreground, you know, Bruce Springsteen music sort of, you know, over over the the background of this commercial and a a bunch of guys in hard hats crawling out of the earth with soot on their face. And to me, that's a, it's a mimetically positive idea communicating industry and productivity and hard work and the Protestant work ethic and all these sort of American yeah. ideas, I see it as kind of positive. So I'm, I'm interested in... Uh, what, what was that a commercial for, Rusty? Uh, you know, it could have been Budweiser, Chevrolet, <laughs> uh, the, the newest Bruce Springsteen right, tour. I, I rest my case. I, 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 mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I get your point. I, I don't... And not that I just don't get your point. I, I agree with your point. I, I mean, mining is a very as you say, mimetically loaded term. And it is loaded with that positive idea of hard work, hard, grueling work. And that's a positive thing. I get that. At the same time, though, and I think this is how memes and ideas change over time, uh, it's that, look, the the, the anti-environment aspect of mining has really come to the fore these mimetic loadings that you're talking about, they change over time. And I, I just don't know of a word today that has changed so much, right, in having a positive valence to a negative valence than the word mining. Well, I think we'll come back to that point. But in the meantime, I'll let you continue the reading. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough.
You may not think that the language of mining Bitcoin makes a difference in the adoption perception of Bitcoin specifically and crypto more generally, but you would be wrong. It's part and parcel of the increasingly powerful and popular narrative that Bitcoin is anti-green and anti-environment, that it is at best a waste of energy and at worst a direct contributor to climate change. I have zero interest in debating the facts or claims of this narrative that Bitcoin is anti-green and anti-environment. Of course it's true. Of course it's false. So what? If you get nothing else out of epsilon theory, get this. The strength of a narrative, and of information itself in a meaning of the universe sort of way, has nothing to do with truth. The strength of a narrative is how much it changes someone's mind. And the Bitcoin is terrible for the environment narrative is changing a lot of people's minds. I'm sorry, but that is truth. And I think we've noticed that it's truth, not just on the topic of Bitcoin mining and and cryptocurrency. Oh, yeah. But in a lot of other areas as well. We we wrote, for example, recently about this topic of work and remote work and the narratives Mm -hmm. of work. And and we found that the, the narratives of well, you know, if we, if we go back to everyone commuting into the office, it's very bad for the environment. Why, are are you re, do you really hate the environment? And and the sort of very similar mimetic loading we're seeing there. You know, of course, in the investing world, um, you know, yay environment, right? Yep. To use our parlance, um, has been um, emerging for for several years now. And so, it isn't just here, and and nope. it's been something that's I think been very broadly seized upon. So, Rusty, look, I I don't know of another narrative that is more easily placed on anything you want to advocate for as a skin, right? I'll I'll call it a skin. It's a narrative skin. It's a narrative skin around monetary policy today, for God's sake, right? Where central banks are increasingly talking about, oh, we have, you know, a responsibility to use monetary policy to address issues of climate change. And which is... Is as an aside, yeah. Is is such a preposterous reach that that would fall directly within the mandate of central banks, and yet, and yet, it it is not <laughs> a, an an occasional comment no. from the ECB. It has been, I mean, Carney was probably the first one yep. to really use that language. Now we're seeing it from members of the Fed here in the United States, and it is all the time, all the everywhere. time, everywhere, all the time. And and I was struck by that. I was also struck, as you say, in our discussion about the nature of work. So in this whole return to work or work from home, I'll call it debate, but it really is a, a you know, we've, we've written and talked a lot about this. It's a, it's a change in, in our whole sense of identity, I think, what comes from work. The argument for, oh, look, commuting, which nobody really paid a lot of attention to. I mean, commuting is a hassle for everyone. Now commuting is... Oh my God! Think of all the, the 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 carbon impact from from commuting and not doing as much commuting, or business travel, for example. And look, I get it. I I mean, I share a lot of these issues, and that's something that I think I keep coming back to. I don't want this discussion about environment as a narrative to be taken as a view that oh, I don't care about the environment, right? Or that I don't believe in a lot of the policies that are undertaken around the environment. And I think you and I differ on some of the specifics of this, Rusty, but that's fine. I, it's, I, I think we can also hold two thoughts in our head at the same time. 
right? That it is being used as a narrative skin for everything today. And it is something that I happen to care very deeply about. Well, and I think it's, it's, it's actually three, three thoughts in our head at the same time, <laughs> yeah. because I think we probably agree on the reality of anthropogenic climate change. Absolutely. I think we probably modestly disagree on what policy is, is implied or you know, yep. desirable yep. as a response to that. But we, we agree violently on the observation that the narrative world mimetic identity of yay environment is distinct from either of those first two considerations and a citizen ought to be capable of thinking of it distinctly and independently that's right and that's why i wrote the note rusty because if if you think that this anti-environment narrative skin around bitcoin either isn't true or isn't false or doesn't matter then you're i don't think you're paying attention right frankly uh that is all true and I think we can move forward from that. And that's the purpose of the note. All right. <laughs> Here we go. I'll say this about the energy consumption of Bitcoin, though. In a very fundamental way, money is a store of energy, or at least a persistent representation, a token of energy. Money, broadly understood, is the primary way in which we store the energy of our human labor and time and life across time and geography, converting something that is entirely non-fungible, like a good idea or an hour's labor, into something that can be saved or traded or divided or combined, that's what money does. Bitcoin, or any proof-of-work token, crystallizes this basic property of all money with the intentional consumption of energy and the mining of a coin. It's a very in-your-face way of creating a persistent representation of energy and thus value. But every cryptocurrency, every coin, every token, whether it's based on proof of storage or proof of stake or proof of whatever, is doing the same thing, just in a less in-your-face way than a proof-of-work token. Ditto for a gold or silver coin. It's a representation of a store of energy. Ditto for a dollar bill. Everything we think of as money is a representation of a store of energy, each wrapped in a different narrative to capture our imagination and allegiance. I can't emphasize this point enough. It's at the heart of the entire Epsilon Theory project. Narrative and story are the engine of value for everything in our social world. And nowhere does this manifest more powerfully than in the phenomenon of money. There's no there there when it comes to money. It's all narrative. It's only narrative. That's utterly obvious when it comes to crypto, where Elon tweets and Shiba Inu memes create and destroy fortunes. But it's just as true with dollars and euros and yen and renminbi, where the tether between taxes and spending, the most important policy relationship in our social lives, is now well and truly snipped. I believe human society has become completely unmoored when it comes to money because everyone now gets the joke. It's narratives all the way down. Now, we've been talking about memes, Ben. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and obviously, when we talk about memes, we're, we're talking about maybe a, a slightly different form of the term than 
than most people are familiar with, although they are very much related. Mm-hmm. Um, most people, when they think of memes, think of uh, clever meta yeah. image, you know, gifs and images GIFs. on the internet. I'm glad we said gifs and not gifs. Good. Although, Good. The, for whatever reason, and it makes no sense to me, the founder decided to throw his hat in the ring to say, "Oh, it's oh actually pronounced gif," which is just nonsense. yeah, it's just wrong, just wrong. It's like 18- common usage, man. Common usage. Exactly. Okay, so are you familiar with the Vince McMahon reaction meme? Sure, of course. Okay, so so this is. Uh, for those who are, are less uh, up on uh, not so current and current, not memes. so current, right? Um, so the Vince McMahon reaction meme is a is a, a standard meme format. I think it's three or four frames, mm-hmm. um, and the left side of each frame is a, a, an image of Vince McMahon, who, if you don't know, is the the longtime you know president and, and impresario. And who, impres- <laughs> that's actually the right word, impresario of the WWE. And the the first frame is is a you know image of Vince sort of l- sitting back in his chair as if to say, okay. And then the next one is mildly surprising. Mildly sort of just observing. Yeah. Um and the second frame is one of Huh. Well, that's interesting. Yep. And sort of, you can almost see him sort of nodding slightly. <laughs> the third image is him gripping the, the the sort of arms of his chair and looking vi- visibly surprised. And then the fourth one usually is the sort of laser eyed, you falling know, falling off the chair. Exactly. Yep. And it's this, this, I, you know, really uh, almost galaxy brain to, to attach it to another meme. And, I think there's a similar sort of process that goes through people's minds whenever they start thinking about narrative mm-hmm. as and, and its role in, I think, how we process information. And and the first one invariably is, okay, yeah, there, there are stories and that that's all interesting. That's great, Ben. Um, thanks for that. Um, and it's that, that first frame. voting machine in the short term, voting machine. In the well, long term. Th- that's sort of the second frame, oh, okay, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I think the yeah. second frame where people start nodding and saying, you know what, actually, yes, that's Narrative right. matters sometimes. Right? Yeah, it's and 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 it's usually a way of explaining some other belief that they had that they want to find new validation for. Right. So it's usually someone who believes in value investing in the sort of Benjamin Graham sense, as you were pointing out, which is to say, well, of course there are going to be near-term distortions. Yeah, short, and if, short term, yeah, but long term. In the long term, everything yeah. will converge on fundamentals. It'll converge on reality. And so if you want to use the word narrative to describe all of those things which cause these short-term deviations between reality and um, you know, the, the current price of a thing or the current, um, you know, interpretation of a thing, you go ahead and do that. But it's, right. it's, a, it's a nod. Right. They pat you on the head. Yeah. And then there's a certain point, and I'm not yes. sure if it's gripping the sides of the chair or falling out entirely, where people realize that, no, even whenever fundamentals matter or reality world is the thing that matters, it is. It still matters in a way that we should understand is being passed through the lens right, of narrative. Right. What right? aspect of reality or fundamentals matters? And and who are the who are the individuals who are operating at the margin at right. which all decisions and, and any kind of public or social market are made? What is what are how are they responding to that? Who are the arbiters of that? Yeah, and how do they respond? Because yeah. and even when it looks very much like fundamentals or reality world are are, are driving the world, it, it's still incredibly helpful to understand that that is still a narrative, right? Yep. The idea that earnings should influence price or that is what's influencing price. Well, that's 
that's being passed through a narrative of mm-hmm. earnings influence price and the people who adopt that. And the same thing with, you know, future cash flows and discounted future cash flows and all that kind of stuff. And it's true in political world and it's true in the world of money, perhaps more than anywhere else. Absolutely right. Because the fundamentals of money, right, are so malleable. Uh, obviously malleable when it comes to crypto. Or non-existent. Or non-existent, right, non-existent. You know, slightly but only slightly more real when it comes to fiat currencies. My point is, it's the same with, you know, so-called hard currencies. You know, why gold? Right? And, and, and again, I, I know the metallurgical right, and social reasons that people would say. My point is, all of that is a story. All of that's a narrative. All the way down. Which, which makes it all the, the more frustrating to me to see price targets for some of these things that it's just and 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 not only price targets but people referring to fundamentals when when they make price targets like well haven't you researched the fundamental like what what fundamentals yeah what are you talking about right Uh, anyway so yes money is perhaps of all the things which are all narrative all the way down money is inherently is inherently inherently narratives all the way down tell me there's hope ben i will i also believe there is a path out I believe there is an untapped source of narrative, social and physical power, that can rejuvenate not only the constructed world of money, but also the real world of making, protecting, and teaching. It's a narrative source of power because it taps directly into the most inspirational old stories ever told, stories of growth and life. It's a social source of power because it taps directly into the most politically and economically important industry in the world, agriculture. It's a physical source of power, because it taps directly into the dominant store of energy on Earth for the past 500 million years, plants. I want to change the language of crypto from mining to growing. I do not mean this in a metaphorical sense. I want to propose a proof-of-plant method for literally growing cryptocurrency tokens as a representation of the value stored in the human cultivation of plants. My proposed proof-of-work is the real-world activity of growing a useful plant to help human society rather than the real-world activity of consuming electricity to solve an artificially hard math problem. I think a narrative based on proof of plant can capture a lot of people's imagination and allegiance. That's what will make it a successful token. I think a social movement based on a renewed focus on long-term growth and the cultivation of life can transform our political and economic system from the bottom up. And that's what will change the world. All right, Ben, can I level with you for a minute? Sure. The first time that I read this note, mm-hmm. I thought it was insane. <laughs> I kind of felt that way the first time I wrote the note, Rusty, so we're, we're even. Um, the second time I read the note, um, I also thought it was insane. It, it yeah. took me a few times. Right, and, and, right, and, right. And in my defense, I, I saw early versions of the note, which were even more insane than the, the mm-hmm. final version of the note. Fair, fair. And yet, on... I don't know how many readings it took, but what really started to grab me and attach me to this idea is that 
I mean, this is the first of many things I think that I, I, of, of the thought process that I went through that really you know, made it sing for mm-hmm. me is the idea of the relationship between what money is and what plants are, right? Yep. Which is to say stores of value, right? When, when I think about what the evolution of, you know, our current earth plant biology did for the the further evolutionary development of animal species and other species, it was this ability to transform solar energy into stored energy that could then be consumed when needed by other creatures. And this ability to take current productivity sources and to create stores of value that could then be deployed efficiently when needed, as opposed to being sort of thrown out to the wolves today. And if there's enough things around to consume it, great. And if there's not, oh, too, oh, well, it's the same with money, of course, right? Having a, an effective store of value that permits today's excess productivity to be saved and then deployed as, as capital, uh, you know, in the, in the future or, you know, routed through labor in the future. And to, to me, that's what money used to be, you know, money itself was, those agricultural products <laughs> and, and, and always an abstraction, perhaps less of an abstraction yeah. than, it, than yeah. it was today. And, and to me, that was the first concept that said, okay, maybe what Ben is proposing here is not just, you know, he's, he's not being completely metaphorical, right? He is actually proposing mm-hmm. a, a proof of plant, but it started to open my, my mind and my eyes to, I think a lot of other ways of thinking about, stores of of value based ways of thinking about um you know creating you know cryptocurrencies that that are they're aligned with that from a narrative perspective that's right rusty so what i was trying to do is i don't mean this metaphorically right I, i really am talking about this is a token it represents the cultivation the the energy and the time not only of of the sun right the solar energy goes into a plant through its biology but also the human endeavor to cultivate a, a, a plant, right? So, so I don't mean it metaphorically when I'm talking about this. That said, I don't mean only looking at plants as a manifestation of a focus on growth and the cultivation of life. Right? What I'm really talking about is thinking about tokens in a completely new way, not as mining, but as growing I'll throw this term, and you were the first one to, 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 to put it in words for me, positive externalities. The things we do as humans in our world that have this essence of life and growth behind them, the, 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 the positive valence we have in our own lives, right, of community and making and growing and teaching and protecting— these things, I really believe, can be expressed as a token so that we can support these positive externalities that we believe in. I really believe in the importance of cultivating plants, right? <laughs> it's, it, I, I want to find a way to support that in our world through these, frankly, kind of, I find, pernicious and yet they're here. We can't do away with them. Tokenization of everything, right? So, for me, this is a way of of, of trying to to rethink outside of the realm just of, of of finance and money and mining and extraction. How can we use these new technologies? Because this is a new technology, right? 
to support, frankly, the things that I don't get think get supported in our world. So I want to come back to this topic of externalities and positive externalities again, because I want, okay. to, I want to make sure we explain that fully to the listeners and readers. But I think if I can restate, I think what we're observing here is, is that the idea is the opposite of what we've referred to as the long now, right. the, the bringing forward of the future to the present. So everything we've written about, you know, financialization, leverage, all of those things bring the future forward to the present. A store of value inherently is the opposite of that. It yep. is taking the present, whether it's productivity, labor, and committing that to the, the future. It's investment. It's investment in the real. It's what? Yeah, right? Right? <laughs> All right. I'll let you continue. For the farmers and the growers of today, what I'm proposing is a freebie. You've already invested all of the capital and all the time and all the labor to cultivate a plant. That gets you a token. There's no additional cost or work required. This is a cryptographic system that seeks to reward you for what you've already done. This applies to grasses like wheat and rice. This applies to row crops like soybeans and corn. This applies to greenhouse plants like tomatoes and lettuce. This applies to non-herbaceous perennials like apple trees and white pines. It applies to anything humans can grow. Take a picture of the plant you've grown and automatically get a token representing that plant's species, location, variety, and health, which you can sell, which can be tranched and bundled into representations of agricultural practices and qualities with extremely popular associated narratives, like domestically grown, like disease-free, like carbon capturing, like non-monoculture, like legalized cannabis, like good for the immune system, like healthy living in general, like more sustainable in general. All farmers and growers, including the most massive agribusinesses on the planet, will benefit from the system. That's a feature, not a bug. Farmers and growers who are resisting the dominant monocultures, however, who are engaged in more sustainable agricultural practices, who are capturing the zeitgeist of green narratives, they will benefit most of all. Why will sustainable, narrative-forward farmers and growers do well in this system? Because narratives drive price. Because these are the stories that will drive number go up in these narrative-aligned tokens. Because buying these tokens and related narrative baskets of tokens is a direct support of these farmers and growers. It's not buying some produce that you think hope is domestically grown and imagining that this trickles down eventually to support the grower. No, it's an investment in exactly those growers who you want to support. It's not charity either. You can make money with these tokens in exactly the same way you can make money with any other token. This is capitalism, in a really interesting form, where your social preferences can be sorted out through an economic transaction and where a speculation layer of, let's call it what it is, greed can be added on top, which is a powerful narrative itself, in case you hadn't noticed. Okay, so yeah, I want to dive a little bit more into this idea of externalities that you alluded to earlier and which you're, you're now starting to talk about a little bit more, which is social preferences. Right. Right. And 
when we talk about the role of of markets and government, and this is the sort of the broad and specific conversations I, I think we've we've had for for hundreds of years, but when we talk about our social preferences, there is one poll which tends to say, well, the market sorts out those preferences mm-hmm. through the price mechanism, and as consumers and citizens, we have the ability to influence what we care about by how much we're willing to pay for something that that um, exploits or which demonstrates that, yep. that quality. Now, of course, many people observe that there are externalities, meaning effects which are not native to the good or service being provided, but which become right. either affect the commons or affect the general population in ways that do not require them to be part of the transaction at all. They're simply affected by mm-hmm. it. Right. And the classic example and the one that if this is a, a difficult concept to grasp, will make it clear is is pollution, right? As, yeah, a, as negative a negative externality, externality right? right? This idea that if a company makes a product and sells it to you and you pay a price based on the features of the product, well, you aren't the only one paying an effective price for the features of the product if the manufacturing process resulted in pollution that affects everyone, whether mm-hmm. or not they were involved in the purchasing the product. Hence, this externality attached to it that in, in most people's minds would be negative. But I, I think, and, and I don't, I, I do think that, for example, in the case of the, the carbon credits market, right, there is an existing case for something like this, which addresses negative externalities. To me, what it seems like you were reflecting, and this to me was just such a powerful idea that made this go well beyond plants, yeah. is that those two, you know, the, the two ways that we have today of communicating our will on social preferences are through market transactions for good or, goods or services in which our willingness to pay more for something which has social qualities we desire is, in fact, a way that we express our will. And the other is through voting for people who will regulate and yeah. coerce companies through whether it is right. laws or fines or, or other right. things. and. If you're kind of like me, which is to say a small L liberal who loves markets, but also someone who is is a small L liberal that hates, you know, hates coercion and also hates, um, you know, the, the coercion that comes through unchosen negative externalities, right. having an opportunity to positively express, you know what, I, I'm actually, I would love for growers to start growing more of this kind of tree or fruit mm-hmm. or plant and there's not enough incentive for them to do it. So I'm going to put my money where my mouth is and I'm going to speculate on tokens that will provide a benefit to someone who's willing to grow that plant or to grow in this way or to pursue what I consider to be sustainable growing practices. That's right. There's a power and an agency that I gain from this that isn't present in my vote and isn't present in my participation in markets for goods and services directly. It's right. a new form and, of influence and, and frankly, for the citizen. It doesn't require the government big stick to come in and say, thou shalt, you know, either reward through some tax break or something like that. So we're going to we're going to evaluate your growing practices and we're going to Correct. regulate some or you know cut down on some and 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 you know implement the other. Look, there is a market mechanism for um, handling externalities, right? So this is, it, it falls roughly under the, the notion of 
well, this economist Ronald Coase came up with the idea oh, of the, the Coase theorem, right? And look, it's it's true. It works. What what I think though is that to implement the Coase theorem for solving these negative externalities, I think it requires government to come in there and at least establish that system and set up, you know, a variety of you know sticks and carrots. Right. I, I I think it's very hard to implement something like a carbon capture market or carbon credit market without government sticks involved. What what I'm looking to do is something to do, to try something that's truly bottom up, right? That doesn't require and this is what I think one of the great advances of a of a largely trustless system. I don't think you can get as completely trustless as you can with a a proof of work system like with Bitcoin. But I think, as I'll try to describe in the note, we can get close, close enough to it. So you don't need the government. You know, I'm here with a new, you know, accreditation, you know, agency that's going to evaluate your growing practices and rank you and, you know, do something on that regard. I want to avoid that. I really do. And that's why I think we're, you know, what I'm trying to propose here. So I do want to come back to that point, which is this idea of social credit markets and whether established by the government or adopted by all of us as a collective, they yeah. they do raise some concerns for me. But I want to raise those concerns after you've continued the note. Everyone has an opinion about the environment. Everyone has an opinion about health. Everyone has an opinion about the food we eat and the supply chains that get it from the farm to the table. Proof-of-plant tokens allow all of these opinions and preferences to be expressed within an option-like market structure. I think the trading activity and liquidity that will occur when these preferences get sorted will be awe-inspiring. If it seems like this proof-of-plant token idea is a weird form of carbon credits, you're not too far off the mark. It is weird, and it does tap into many of the same narratives and social preferences. But here's the big difference. It's not government mandated. It's not a regulation. It's not a bureaucratic stick. Don't get me wrong, these government mandated regulatory sticks may well be a necessary thing. But they're not my thing. My thing is to find a bottom up, entirely voluntary, independent small l liberal system to sort out preferences and get capital into more productive uses. Imagine that. That's a lot of pretty sounding words. And I know that the idea of a crypto token generated by plant cultivation sounds bonkers. Maybe it is. At the very least, I'm sure that I've missed crucial questions that need to be answered. And by the end of this series of notes, I'll pretty much just be waving my hands at important implementation issues. All the same, I'm putting this proof of plant method out there now in hopes that others will take some degree of inspiration from these ideas and help push them further. I've marked this note liberally with C as a placeholder, copyright as a placeholder. But the intention here is that this all goes into Creative Commons and similar open source licensing. If anyone wants to advise on how best to accomplish that, I'm all ears. On a related note, I'm almost certainly going to misuse cryptographic terms of art in this note. I think my meaning is straightforward, however, and I'd welcome constructive editing suggestions. To be clear, this is not an effort to rescue Bitcoin. This really has nothing to do with Bitcoin, as I'm not trying to accomplish Bitcoin's goals. 
which I take to be the creation of a fixed supply of censorship-resistant tokens that can serve as a hard monetary system existing outside national fiat currencies. Do I admire those goals and the artistic elegance of Satoshi's cryptographic system to achieve them? Absolutely. Are these my goals? Is this my art? No. My art, a distributed ledger composed of public cryptographic keys representing the work and energy required to cultivate verifiably unique plantings, is painted, sculpted, constructed out of a completely different medium than Satoshi's art. The biology of plant life and the social practices of human agriculture are inextricable features of my art, where they would be intractable bugs in Bitcoin and other crypto projects. For example, unlike anything you might mine, plants are alive. They sprout, they grow, they die. As a result, there's an element of time and decay embedded in this proof-of-plant cryptographic system that would be unnecessary and unwelcome in Satoshi's system. If you're familiar with options markets or credit default swaps, the structure of what I'm proposing will seem intuitive to you. I suspect that if you're familiar with farming or gardening, this will seem intuitive too. But if you're locked into the world of Bitcoin, where the entire game is based on a narrative of the immutability and permanence of a mathematically defined set of tokens, then this effort will probably seem very foreign and very wrong. Or to take another example, plants are bound to the real property where they are grown. Plants are physical and persistent. They are the store of energy. Plants are owned and possessed by law in a way that math problems or electricity or computing processing flops just aren't. As a result, it is possible, and I believe necessary and just, to recognize property rights within this cryptographic system, which in turn requires a degree of centralization and token censorship protocols that would be absolute anathema for Bitcoin. Did you mine a Bitcoin using stolen electricity and computing processing power? Well, it's all yours. There's no changing that from within the blockchain. On the other hand, did you grow some apple tree tokens using your neighbor's apple orchard? Well, you're in trouble. Because your neighbor can see from the public key that the tokens are associated with her land. Challenge their legitimacy and force those tokens to be erased from the apple tree ledger if successful in her challenge. Again, very intuitive as a concept to anyone who works in the real world, not so much if you're immersed in the Wild West of Bitcoin and crypto. Okay, so Ben, you've pointed out here one of the, and I hesitate to use the word flaws, but I'll, I'll use flaws anyway, from the perspective of someone who approaches cryptocurrency from a perspective that we want to avoid there being any of this centralization. So the 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 decentralization motive behind cryptocurrency projects more broadly yeah. is in some ways necessarily violated by Absolutely. what you've proposed. I want to kind of go back to what I would describe as another flaw. And I know where you're going with this is to describe this as maybe a feature rather than uh -huh. a bug of what you're describing. But one of the things that's occurred to me in hearing you read this this last section and, you know, after our discussion on you know, the ability of this idea to communicate and convey information about positive externalities mm -hmm. is this, this sort of nagging thought in the back of my head that says, 
yeah, we don't want social credit systems imposed on us in the way that the Chinese Communist Party has imposed it on you know citizens in, in right. of, of China. I I'm also a little bit concerned about social credit systems that are implemented on a in a distributed uncentralized fashion, yeah. which is to say, I mean, you know, we, we all know about the the Karens on Yelp that will brigade a business because it has, you know, the, the, you know, the wrong people or the wrong policy or one of them had a, had a bad day. And, and, and even that is sort of a, you know, writ small version of what this could be writ large, which is to say a social credit system implemented by all of us collectively outside of the, the purview of the state. It still feels like it has the potential to be an oppressive way for us to c- communicate with one another what we value socially, right? You know, I don't, I don't like your views, so I'm going to go speculate on a token that's going to, you know, make the farm across the street make more money. Am I, am I maybe imagining, you know, potential offenses here, or is this sort of a risk of the world going forward that we all just have to grapple with? Well, I, I don't, I don't see the risk as being, oh, we're going to reward these other farmers that I like and that that's going to somehow relatively punish the farmers I don't like none of them are getting anything right now right? so it's 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 not like that that there's going to be a uh, a relative deprivation here but I, but I think that what you're bringing up the concern I've had is is less that oh it mobilizes a, an army of, of Karens but just that it mobilizes an army of speculators period that it is embracing this speculation layer, that it is encouraging speculation as a way to grow something that I think is a a greater good, the the, uh, direct support of these positive externalities. I I guess for me, it's, it's, it's less that I'm worried that the speculation is going to be used in relatively injurious ways as is it's just speculation and is that a world that i or we really want to be encouraging which is to say do we have the ability then as sovereign individual citizens to create the butter mountains that come out of you know european agricultural policy just simply through the speculation layer as opposed to through regulation and i look the the approach I've been thinking about with this is we have to wor- we have to live in the world as it is. I I would I would love it if in many ways we could return to an uh, an agrarian society, right? Where intrinsically these processes of cultivation were better rewarded in our world as it is. It ain't the world we're in. The world we're in, I think, is moving inexorably towards a world of the tokenization of everything, the being able to speculate on anything. I think that we are at a point in the development of that system that's pretty similar to maybe where the Internet was in, I don't know, 1991, where, you know, HTTP didn't exist as a protocol in 1991. The, the, the basic protocols for how this system that we now call the Internet would live 
that all came in those the, those early '90s years, and I, and I think we're at the same point in time with developing what's coming down the pike, which is the tokenization of everything. I want to be involved in that setting of the protocols. You know, is that does that run the risk of participating in a system that could become unjust or be worse? Uh, yes, it does. But I would rather do that. I would rather engage with that system that I see clearly is happening, particularly when I can be involved at that protocol setting level. That's what I'm really calling for in this note. So I think that as as you talk about protocol setting, a lot of the rest of this note is is about some of those conventions. And so rather than interrupt you further, I think we've had a lot of good discussion. <laughs> I'm going to turn it over to you for the duration to walk through, I think, the, the remainder of this idea and in particular some of the ideas you have around that protocol. I'll take it home. Thanks, Rusty. I'm proposing a market-based system and exchange-traded tokens. So I understand why that would put the reader into a Bitcoin frame of mind. But it's a perspective that will steer you wrong, I think. This is a blockchain, not Bitcoin, or idea. Or better yet, a distributed ledger, not Bitcoin idea, where I am embracing elements of centralization, i.e. oversight, and censorship, i.e. adjudication and revision, not rejecting them. What I am proposing is infinitely closer in structure to Wikipedia, than it is to Bitcoin. And yes, an apple tree token. At an atomic level, the tokens created in a proof-of-plant cryptographic system represent adult specimens of a specific plant species. Although, as I'll describe later, there is room in the methodology to create tokens representing any real asset, including produce, apples rather than apple trees, and byproducts, timber rather than trees. But in this general methodology, There would be an apple tree token that is separate from a tomato plant token, that is separate from a lettuce token, that is separate from a wheat token, that is separate from a corn token, that is separate from a cannabis token. And each of these species-based tokens would contain additional data on specific plant location, variety, maturity, health, any quality that can be identified through visual imagery. As I'm envisioning this, there will be a lot of separate proof-of-plant tokens that are grown each with its adherents and narratives. The goal here is to establish a generic set of methods to develop any number of popular narrative expressions associated with the cultivation and growth of living things, and then let a robust and transparent market sort out our preferences and reward the associated growers accordingly. So here are the methods. Throughout all of this, think facial recognition software for plants, and you'll have the right intuition for the system. First, a secure data collection app that accesses the camera and location orientation metadata on a smartphone or drone is where the proof-of-plant token creation process begins. At its core, the app is responsible for simultaneous generation of a high-resolution photograph of the target plantings, accurate geographic coordinates for the camera, including elevation, precise camera orientation angle data, and a timestamp. I say simultaneous generation because it's crucial that we marry this data in a trustworthy way. Simultaneous so that we're not accepting an old photo or a photo of a different location. 
generation so that we're not accepting an externally supplied fake photo or fake location. By keeping this simultaneous data generation and capture in-app, or at least securely verifying simultaneous generation and capture from other trusted apps, I think we can prevent the vast majority of obvious attack or spoof vectors against the system. I, I totally get that developing an app like this is a non-trivial task, but it's not an impossible one either. This data file, photograph plus camera metadata, is then analyzed by an identification program for species confirmation and counting and spatial normalization and mapping. This is the core facial recognition software for plants function. And it's both easier and more difficult than most applications of human facial recognition software. The easier part is that we're not trying to identify a unique entity. We're not trying to identify John Smith and a crowd of other humans. We're just trying to distinguish a crowd of humans from a crowd of cats, and then count the number of humans in that crowd. The harder part is that our camera is not in some set location at a set altitude and set orientation, like a security camera at a train station, and so our system has to handle a much wider range of image inputs. In general, though, I think there will be two basic types of photographs to process. Imagery of plants that can be counted by identifying individual stalks or trunks, or canopies and foliage, like apple trees or tomato plants, and imageries of plants that are best estimated in the aggregate across a planted surface area, like soybeans or wheat. The former can be counted individually, with tokens associated for each apple tree or tomato plant. The latter are better counted by surface area, with tokens assigned by each acre or hectare of cultivated soybeans or wheat. Each of these two species identification and counting processes, let's call them orchards versus crops for short, has its own idiosyncratic issues, none of which are trivial to solve. But the advances that have been made in AI and ML applications just over the past few years for exactly this sort of entity recognition and identification problem how many tomato plant central stalks are in this picture? Is this an aerial shot of healthy wheat or wheat infested with leaf rust? Give me a lot of confidence that it's not only possible to count and distinguish between apple trees and soybeans, but to count and distinguish between young apple trees and old apple trees, or between healthy apple trees and blighted apple trees. In other words, I think that the obvious facial recognition aspects of this process as they apply to plants are not only achievable, but robust enough to allow pretty specific differentiation on a wide range of qualities of plant species, whether that's variety, age, health, yield productivity, or whatever. What's more challenging, I suspect, is normalizing these images for spatial dimensions, spatial location, and perspective. In all cases, whether we're counting individual stalks or estimating a count based on crop coverage, it's necessary to measure the planted surface area we want to evaluate. That's easiest to imagine with an overhead drone shot looking straight down, but you can do this with any photograph by taking camera orientation data and known information about the plants themselves, leaf size, etc., and flattening the photo on two surface area dimensions. Here, too, the AI and ML advances for doing this sort of mapping 
largely driven by autonomous vehicle research over the past few years, have been enormous. Basically, we're overlaying a zillion photographs from every imaginable perspective onto a map of arable land and greenhouse facilities to create a spatial database of potentially every plant cultivation on Earth at a resolution level that allows the identification of individual plants. LOL. It's a gigantic database, the biggest that humans have ever created if it reaches full fruition. Sorry, couldn't resist the pun. That said, it's not that complicated. It's just big. The spatial normalization of these images to overlay them on a map is basic math if you've got sufficiently accurate camera orientation and altitude metadata. I realize that this is an important if. As with the data collection app, there's nothing easy about developing this plant identification, counting, plus spatial normalization function. But I don't think it's that difficult either. It's a big database, but it's only a big database. Like I said earlier, I have no doubt that I've left out important steps in this whole process and used terms of art weirdly or mistakenly. I think that I've figured out solutions to a lot of the edge cases. What if you put a greenhouse on a truck and moved it forward 100 yards and took new pictures? What if you flew your drone over your neighbor's almond orchard? But I'm sure there are hundreds more I haven't considered. Still, I think there's enough here to give people who are more technically adept than me a blueprint for how to get this off the ground. How much will this cost to set up? A lot. But we don't have to boil the ocean. It can start in places where it's clearer to grasp, counting apple trees, for example, and where the tokens have a long duration. Again, apple trees. The startup capital here will come from clear-eyed, full-hearted people and allied foundations and endowments. Big Ag will put some money into this, and I'd take it. So will Wall Street once they get a whiff of the speculation layer that's possible to place on these tokens, and I'd take that money too. Ultimately, this project completely destabilizes Big Ag and Wall Street in a way that Bitcoin never will, but that won't be obvious for a long time. So yeah, take whatever amount of money it took to set up Wikipedia, quadruple that, and that's probably your number. It's a big number, but it's only a big number. What's the timetable for this? Well, it's possible that when all is said and done, we will have built the largest spatial database in human history. It's possible that we will transform the concept of money, create a general system for the decentralized securitization of any real asset, and disintermediate pretty much every major financial institution on the planet. It's possible that we will reconnect our abstracted lives to the real world and its bounty. Surely we will need a few years to consult with appropriate corporate and regulatory stakeholders so that the process can be appropriately managed. LOL. Don't call me Shirley. What's the timetable for this? How about now? The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. That's an old saying that I first came across in The Overstory by Richard Powers, an inspiring work that you should read too. Yes, it's about trees, but only in the same way that Moby Dick is about whales. 
It's time to focus on long-term growth and the cultivation of life in every aspect of our world. It's time to be a steward, not a manager. It's time to be a grower, not a miner. It's time. Tick-tock. Well, that's going to do it for us today. Thanks, as always, to my partner, Ben Hunt, and to our producer, Harper Hunt. And thanks to all of you for reading and listening. Again, if you heard something that made you think today, come join us at the forum on EpsilonTheory.com to start a conversation about it.